Welcome one and all to today's episode of Bigfoot Learning, where the focus is not on the creature of Bigfoot, instead on learning from reflecting on those different lessons that were impressed on our minds throughout our lives, whether that's from individuals, events, locations, or whatnot. And so today, I am your host, Monica Tews, and our guest today is Dr. Judy Van Relt, who is a professor of psychology and director of athletic counseling at Springfield College. Thank you for joining us today, Judy. Hi, Monica. Nice to be here. I mentioned a little bit about your position. Right now, you are a professor of psychology. You're helping lead the athletic counseling program as well at Springfield College. And since one of the focus points of the show is how learning is a lifelong journey, how would you describe briefly your learning journey to get to the point you are at now? So I I guess to get to the point of being a professor, you start out as a student, which um, we, we do in the United States. And I would say that the job of professor really involves continuing to learn. So for yourself, for your own research and teaching, but also from students. And um, I would add, I also have been a college coach. So I learned a lot from my athletes and also from winning and losing. So that's another experience from other coaches. Um, As a practitioner, I feel like I've learned a lot from the teams and athletes that I work with. So hopefully they Mm -hmm. learn a lot with me, but I also learn from them. Um, And then as a parent, I learn a lot from my kids, sometimes the hard way, sometimes the easy way. And and then as someone who still participates in sport. So I guess in in every aspect of my life, I'm still learning. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing, Judy. And for, in regards to learning, from all of the experiences you've had in your life, if you had the opportunity to change the definition of learning in the dictionary, what would you change it to? Boy, that's a hard one, Monica. I think the definition of learning in the dictionary is is a pretty good one in that um, learning encompasses, uh, you know, a whole uh, array of different types of things. So, um, you know, my definition is a broad one. And you can learn in many different ways and from many different people. So I I would embrace that diversity of definition. Lovely. Well, that sounds great. Well, one of the areas of that diversity of learning that you've kind of honed in on for your own learning and research and study and teaching is a bit on self-talk. And so I wanted to check in with you on what ways does self-talk play a role in learning in life? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because I do actively study self-talk and I, I've had um, students and other people, actually recently I gave a, 
self-talk talk. And they asked, so self-talk is it? That's, that's the thing. And I said, uh, sometimes <laughs> for, for some people and under some circumstances. So um, I think that self-talk can be very informative for us in the way that most people think about self-talk, which is you telling yourself to do something or to act in a particular way. Um, and we can learn also from the self-talk where you know, something happens and, and you speak to yourself in not such a nice way, you know, or that maybe you see a snake on the ground and say, ah, you know, oh no. And that self-talk that you hear from yourself can also be informative. Oh, I'm afraid or um, I'm worried or I'm angry. And so both the self-talk that you intentionally use and the self-talk that spontaneously happens can both be informative. And then I would add that some people use a lot of self-talk and some people not so much. All right. It's very good to know. Self-talk all over the place, or in some cases, not as much, but still impacts on learning and just life in general, nonetheless. One of the questions I got from the self-talk talk from a coach was, oh, it's so personalized and individual that I guess there's nothing there that I can work on with my team. And I thought, oh, I am so sorry I gave you that impression because there's lots of ways people can use self-talk that's been shown to be very beneficial and it can be helpful to personalize that self-talk to the context and the person. So it, it, there's, a, there's a lot to know, but there's a lot that can be really helpful too. Gotcha. Well, cool. Well, to kind of transition off of the personalization that can people can use for their own self-talk, we're going to get personal on your level of learning and reflections on your life so far and dive into some of our the core questions of the show in which we go into different levels of Bigfoot categories of those who have left impressions on our minds from stepping into our lives of either the good or bad lessons that we carry forward today. And so with that in mind, who has been a personal Bigfoot in your life? So when you ask me this question, I guess what comes to mind for me first is my role as a teacher and as a professor. So I kind of jump into that. And I had a teacher in high school, my senior year of high school, Mrs. Martin. And um, Mrs. Martin was pretty tough. And we learned a lot. And, you know, sometimes seniors are a little bit checked out and, and she wasn't having any of it. You know, she demanded a lot. And um, at some point, we had, I think we had been learning Shakespeare and she had us, um, gave us the opportunity to go to New York City and see Shakespeare performed. And then she had a friend who maybe had a cool loft apartment in Greenwich Village. And she invited the class to go do that. And so we said, is it a field trip? And she said, oh, no, it's not a field trip because then I'd be in charge of you. And that's a terrible idea. And you would want to be 14 when you were buying the children's price tickets 
and you would want to be 21 when you went out to dinner and were ordering beverages. And so it's just going to be a coincidence that we all met each other in New York City. And I think that some of the things that inspired me were, you know, that she challenged us to do hard things, um, that she was interested, passionate about what she did, connected to the students to do fun things too. And, you know, she was right. She was, she was honest and real about like, do not want to get into a field trip situation with any of you. So she was a early influence of, of those qualities, which I think I, I valued a lot as a student and as a, um, you know, as a teacher as well. Uh, should I continue on with another one? Yes. So um, when I went to college, I had a professor, a Dr. B.J. Fair, and she had a research team. And so students got together, they met with her, we volunteered and contributed to her research. And from that time as an undergraduate student, um, I continued to be part of a research team. So it's more than 30 years. When I was a grad student myself, I created my own research team and had undergrads helping me. And um, I think there's just a whole lot that is better working with others. Um, as a professor, I'm accountable. Like everyone's coming to the meeting and I better have something. So that's good. But also um, the more diverse ideas makes our research better too. So those are some positive influences I had. But when I got to grad school, I was really excited. I was, I was studying um, or doing some applied sports psychology and I was really excited to work with teams and athletes. And there was one professor who had, you know, had said some of the grad students could work with a, a male team. And I was eager to do that. Yeah, I was eager to work with any team and any athletes. And he kept putting up roadblocks. So other athletes, uh, other grad students were able to work with athletes and other people. And it, it just became clear. I think he said, well, you need to know more about sports psychology. I ended up teaching a sports psychology class and he was like, well, now you've taught the class, but I'm not sure it's enough. And I finally realized that he wouldn't let me work with a team because I was a female person. And he also wouldn't say that, but I was prevented from doing that. He just, he wouldn't give me a chance. So he didn't know if I do a good job or bad job, he just assumed. And that was an influence in that, um, I didn't like that very much. Um, there was nothing I could do about it. And I did not ever wanna be that roadblock to someone's growth and development and opportunity. Certainly, I don't want to put athletes and teams at risk, but um, to not give someone a chance at all was awful. And I contrast that professor with my advisor, who was for me a perfect mentor because he didn't push me very hard. But if I needed help and asked for it, he provided it. And um, I'm kind of stubborn and I don't like to be bossed around too much. So um, that really helped me to do very well. Um, he also served as Miss Manners. So if I had questions about, let's say, how to work with this other professor or what would be appropriate, um, he would have insightful information. And to this day, 
I uh, reached out to him as Miss Manners and also sent him a Father's Day card because he is my academic father. And uh, so, yeah, and I've been doing that for a long time. So those are some from my past. And then at Springfield College, um, right out of grad school, my very first job, I worked with Al Pettipaw. And he um, was in a position to be part of the search committee when I was hired. And um, he's made a big impression on me in that he's completely supportive of other people succeeding. So there's nothing that brings him more joy, at least in my impression, than seeing other people succeed. And it's just wonderful to, to work with someone who, who feels that way. And I hope that I can support others. Sometimes in sport, we're pretty competitive. And um, so recognizing the value of teamwork and support, I think, is a big one. Um, I have a few more. Should I keep going? Absolutely. So um, also at Springfield College, I've done a lot of work um, traveling and teaching internationally, and that's been fantastic. But learning to work with people in other cultures um, is not something that happens automatically. And Professor Deb Ahm in the International Center has been really helpful um, at explaining different cultures for, for me. Um, one of the things she talked about is the way cultures interact and she used an analogy of um, different sports. So um, sometimes, you know, it's bowling where one person talks and they bowl, you know, and, and when they're done, then it's the next person's turn and they talk and then that happens and they're done. So some uh, countries in Asia have cultures that are more in line with that. And then sometimes it's, you know, it's a back and forth um, where there's, you know, there's a plan of what's going on, maybe even basketball. It has a rhythm to it. There's sometimes there's several things going on at once, um, but I don't know. Then there's cultures where it's just rugby, you know, <laughs> it's just chaos. And so being able to understand what's expected and how people interact and why has been, you know, just really helpful. And, and she's also helped me with just some special things, simple things like if you bring gifts um, in China, if you bring someone a clock, which is sometimes a thing that people give a watch or a clock, the Springfield College would be a gift. That's a, a bad luck. And it sort of shows that you're hoping someone's life is counting down. And, you know, maybe implies that you hope they die soon. So um, that's a helpful thing to know if that is not the message you're planning to send. Um, also working with Britt Brewer has been fantastic. He's um, uh, more than a colleague and um, a real big picture contributor. And um, I think... I have a very strong practical sense and an ability to think of big pictures, but he has particularly a long vision. So collaborating with people who have a slightly different way of looking at the world has been really helpful. Um, I guess I would add the athletes I've worked with, which I kind of touched on a little bit. I feel like I've learned a lot from them, um, from friends, 
from my kids. Um, I guess in, in thinking about it, I have one just great sport moment where um, I was playing in a national tennis tournament. And at the time I was playing the woman who was number one in the world in our age group. So the best one on the planet. And um, I wasn't winning, you know, <laughs> but I was playing. And uh, my son was there due to kind of a parenting emergency. And he was about 10 years old at the time. And I looked over at him and he was getting up to walk away, which made me nervous because I didn't know where he was going. And if he knew his way around and I kind of came over and he was like, oh, please, mom, I'm fine. I'm Ted, you know. And then he looked at me and he said, and mom, if it's not working, try something different, which is just really good advice. <laughs> and uh, so I tried something different and I won a couple of games, but not the match. But that was really helpful. So um kids as well. And then I, I guess I had a last category, um, which is just people I've talked to sometimes incidentally, you know, on an airplane, um, in passing, who have interesting takes or lived interesting lives. And then when I thought about it, I was like, actually, I find people pretty interesting. So, you know, there's not a lot of people that I say that's really uninteresting. So I guess I have my definition. I, I was bad on my definition of learning. I didn't have much to add, but my definition of Bigfoots would be uh, a very broad one and not just one or two people, but really a lot of people who have touched my life. Well, that's amazing to hear. And I I know one of the things that I was noticing while you were going through your Bigfoots were a lot of like how you interact with people and how uh, you choose to help out others, help out others su succeed and in working together with others, whether that's research team or while well, teaching or advising or being a parent and such. And so um, thank you for sharing all of that. Appreciated hearing all of them. So being a collaborative parent is much easier as uh, kids get older. I remember watching people with two-year-olds, you know, who would just say, you can't do that. And um, that worked well for them. And my collaborative approach uh, was more challenging when they were small. And I just have another example of when the kids were little, I was trying to teach them how to cross the street safely. And so rather than shouting no at them, I wanted them to be able to look and, and kind of use the, the same skills that an adult would use crossing the street. And so when we got to the edge of the street, I would say, can we cross the street now? And then if they said yes, you know, I'd say, oh, we need to look for the car. But what happened is they got older is I'd get to the street and say, can we cross the street? And they just thought I wasn't very smart. And <laughs> so, so yeah, so the collaborative approach is good up to a point until your children don't have any confidence in you as a human. <laughs> well, it's... At least you were hopefully able to get a good laugh out of that. 
That is true. And they have, you know, survived crossing the street. So I'm going to call that a laugh and uh, ability to cross the street as a win-win. Very good here. (laughs) All right. Well, moving on from personal examples of Bigfoot, who would you say has been a, a, who would you consider as Bigfoot from afar in your own life? Yeah, I, I think that um, it's it's a relatively recent uh, Bigfoot from afar, but there's um, a psychologist whose name is Ken Pope, and um, he, he started out um, studying uh, literature, and he went and I think he, he heard Martin Luther King Jr. and some other people speak, and he was just like, I'm not going to college. I'm going to just, or maybe he had finished, was in college at the time. I'm not going to grad school, but what I'm going to do is stop everything and become a community organizer and participate in changing the world. And he did that for a time. And then he returned to grad school and he had been accepted to study literature at Harvard. And he said, it doesn't really seem that relevant anymore. So, you know, I don't really know what to do. And they ended up saying, you can study what you want and will still take you. And so he studied psychology and became a psychologist. And I guess his community organizing roots shone through. And one of the things he wondered is how do psychologists in private practice or in places where they don't have great access to scientific literature, how do they stay up to date? How can they afford to do that in terms of time and in terms of money of just affording the publications? And so he started a a list, which is free. He reads uh, a very large number of publications every day and sends six to 10 um, excerpts of articles with links to the full research article, news items, popular media related to health and other and psychology um, per day for free to anyone who is interested. And so for me, professionally, it's been game changing because it's a great way to stay in touch with colleagues who are do research in other areas like, hey, I saw this study, thought you'd be interested. Hey, here's an article for an athlete or a coach. Um, and he includes some sports psychology materials as well. Um, so he's been really an impressive person. And I cannot tell you after years as being part of the list. Um, the joy that I felt when he shared one of the articles that I had written with the list. So I felt like I got Ken Poped. So I use his name as a verb. I, I, I've got something, I've got to Ken Pope you. And uh, oh, didn't I Ken Pope you that? So um, that was um, really meaningful. And I actually reached out to him to ask, you know, where he, where he found it and why. And it was an article with kind of a clever title on self-talk. Um, that had sort of some usable information. So that's the type of thing he most likely shares. So that would be one. And probably my other one that comes to mind for me right now might be Simone Biles, the uh, gymnast who is, I guess, award-winning would be just too simple a word to describe how great and outstanding she is at gymnastics. And I was really struck by her comment 
I'm not the next Usain Bolt or Michael Phelps. I'm the first Simone Biles. Mm -hmm. And I think often for female athletes and athletes in uh, sports that aren't basketball or football, that that's often, or maybe even golf, uh, that's often the message. Are you the next? And then insert famous athlete here. So I appreciated her standing up for herself as a female athlete, as a black athlete in all those ways. So um, I, I guess I hope not to be the next anybody, but the first me. <laughs> Very nice. I, well, being the, you being the first Judy Van Rell, I'd say you're, you're doing a great job of it. <laughs> and um yeah, those are some great le- lessons to be able to take on, on from both um, Kevin Pope, you said, for Ken, first, yep. Ken Pope, um, and Simone Biles, and yeah, for uh, kind of like synthesizing both of them, you know, being able to help out others who may not have that access and then also uplift other people who may may put themselves down because they don't have that role model or example to kind of see that potential in themselves to go forward. So great. Well then, on to our, are you ready for the next question before we go? I sure am. For the third question, Judy, who has been in your mind a fictional Bigfoot for your life? Um, so it's an interesting question because I am a avid reader of, of fiction. And I guess I would say I enjoy stories and maybe you could tell that because the answers, you asked a direct question and I gave you a story about <laughs> crossing the street or going to New York City. So, um, you know, so I, I, I think of people in my big fit feet in that way, um, my big foots. Um, but I, I don't have anyone beyond what I would say is that I really value learning from fiction and I know that there's psychology research that suggests that people who appreciate fiction are more tolerant of others and um, more understanding and um, are able to use those, those skills in an effective way in their lives. So there's some real value of being able to take other people's perspectives and learn about the world from other people's points of view. So um, I think my fictional Bigfoot would be fiction and, you know, the ability to step into other lives and times and worlds, um, both real and fictional ones, um, and to look at things from different perspectives. So, yeah. So fiction is my fictional Bigfoot. I love that. That provides great insight on what, what, some may be aware of already, but uh, um, still the power of story and narrative is instrumental in life. So um, I appreciate your answer there. And 
Oh, on that note, now that we're nearing the end of the interview, do you have any additional thoughts or lessons that you would like to leave with the listeners today? I'm in taking a deep dive into my personal Bigfoots um, and my Bigfoots from afar and fictional Bigfoots really gave me a chance just to think about what that means to be impactful in people's lives. And I think one of the things these questions did is remind me that you can also actively try to do things in a way that would impact others' lives. So I remember talking to another professor who said every year when I work with undergraduates, I try to find at least one person and to talk to them and say, hey, have you thought about studying psychology because you seem really good at it? Or um, my takeaway was um, both to do that when I'm talking to undergraduates, a little different for graduates because they're already studying psychology, but to try to nominate someone for an award and to do my part to um, sort of be that person, to be a big foot for others. And so mm-hmm. reflecting on who's important to you is a reminder, or for me, it was a reminder that I can also impact others. And it's an honor to be able to do that and also a challenge. So I guess that's the sporty competitive side. What can I do to win at being a Bigfoot? So um, yeah, so I think my final reflection is a thank you for the opportunity to think about these things and to join you on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you for being a Bigfoot in my life and being able to help me out as I'm trying to embark on this field of sports psychology and being able to help out others as well to do likewise. Thank you very much, Judy. And uh, with this episode, I just want to wrap things up by reminding everyone that as we went through in this episode, you can continually learn from reflecting and learn from all-encompassed areas of your lives. And so get out there, try to take some time out to reflect and see what those lessons are that you've already taken in your life and also to seek out learning opportunities going forward. Until next time. Now it's time for the post-episode reflection portion of the show. And for this episode, I was really grateful to have Judy on and being able to hear the many stories that she had and lessons from those stories. And... When I was reflecting on this episode through re-listening it to it, there were a few things that kind of popped out that I wanted to touch upon now. And the first thing is something actually that Judy and I talked about before the episode started, which was a question that Judy had on where did this whole concept of Bigfoot used in terms of learning originate and I I shared how I may have shared 
in previous episodes a little bit about this. However, it doesn't hurt to revisit this because if anything, it was during one of those beginning episodes, which are all the way back there. Um, and with that, I wanted to touch on that a little bit in a little bit more depth. And so the Bigfoot origin story in terms of learning came about a few years ago. I was in kind of a difficult situation. I was about to graduate from college and I had gone through my studies and thought at that point I would know close to graduation what I would be doing even near the beginning of spring semester and I didn't. I was stuck in an area of uncertainty about my future and when that happened and was looming over my mind I started trying to gain more awareness of who I am you know which I change up what I had in terms of career direction and just future in general and so in doing so I ended up reflecting back on the experiences that I had had at that point and while doing so I started to notice these different similarities and lessons that I learned not only in general more specifically from other people that came in terms of either something direct that I remembered oh this lesson that's sticking to my mind came from this person and I could easily identify that or it was more indirect of wow I it took a little bit more time to realize that hey, I'd, I've been dealing with this situation and handling that uh, similar to so-and-so or like how I behave in some regards reminds me of so-and-so and such. And with that, once that kind of peaked in my mind of something that was happening, then my, my creative side of my mind started going. For me, I, I learn best and understand things in a visual manner and a lot of times when able to kind of spin things into a metaphorical way as maybe some of you uh, favor and uh, relate to and so with that that's how I started picturing those lessons as you know some of these individuals and experiences were only in my lives in my life for you know a short period of time while others were longer and yet here's this impression left on my mind from the lessons that they had and were embodying and were sharing during whatever length of time that was and from that came concept of using Bigfoot in terms of 
learning and learning from those reflections and others and even experiences in, in a broader sense too. The other part I wanted to briefly touch on was wrapping up episodes. I do feel that you know, with the experience of going through these interviews so far, I have been able to gain more confidence and familiarity as going through them. And so now I feel a little better about, you know, seeing where the, being a little nitpicky on like, okay, where can I still shape and seeking those areas of improvement and, or working towards a forward direction. And with that, you know, the beginning part, I feel like it's gotten better. So it's mainly the wrap-up section where for there, I, I've noticed that I've been trying to tie in the individual's answer to their definition of learning and different lessons that came through from the stories and Bigfoots that they shared that from there to kind of use that as a summary at the end quickly before wrapping up and that I can keep using as a bit of trial and error to see how to best keep bringing that up and I feel like a key part of that is being present and whether having you know just keeping anything that jumps out of different themes or major lessons from the interview to keep that in my mind throughout or even taking notes so a little bit of like learning is a lot of times trial and error of seeing what works for me because you know one method may work better for someone else while another one would work better for me and just keeping that in mind going forward and yeah just seeing where things can go forward and appreciate that took the time to listen to the episode and hope you will join next time. Bye for now.